Hello, it's Paul Scott here, enthusiastic commentator on small caps. Um, well, what a what a, a, a remarkable week it's been. Um, it's been almost impossible to keep focused on the deluge of small companies, interim results in particular that have, been, have come out this week. And I'm conscious of the fact and apologise for that we should have covered more this week than we actually did. I've just been massively distracted by so many things going on. Obviously, at the beginning of the week, we had the new prime minister on Monday announced. Then um, very soon after that, uh, a huge package of crisis measures um, to deal with the, the energy crisis, which is pivotal, I think, for what happens to share prices. That's why I really did want to spend a fair bit of time on that. Then, of course, towards the end of the week, we had the terrible bombshell news of the death of the Queen. Um, now, obviously, I know that uh, a lot of people don't uh, necessarily subscribe to the to the concept of monarchy. I think a lot of us do, however. And I always think, you know, what a bizarre, uh, weird uh, thing monarchy actually is. Completely outdated, completely illogical, but it just works. And it doesn't just work, it works brilliantly. So for that reason, purely pragmatically, I think uh, it should continue. But the Queen, I mean, what a trooper, what a star she's been, hasn't she? It's uh, Yes, it's shocking news because she's always been there all our lives for people of pretty much all ages. So that, that, that figure of continuity through a, a, a hugely changing world since the 1950s, and she just hasn't put a foot wrong, has she? Her whole life, that life of dedication and service, I know these all sound like cliches, but it's it's very much how I see it, an absolutely remarkable woman. And incidentally, I'm up in London at the moment. I have um, two homes in Bournemouth, and then I, I also rent a room with friends in London, and I'm up here about a third or half the time. So I'm up here at the moment being chief dog carer. There are four in the household and the main dog carer is, is abroad in Australia at the moment. So I've ended up looking after the two doggies and um, they sort of alternate between sleeping through the night one night and then uh, jumping all over me in bed. So this week's also been characterised by sleep deprivation caused by uh, my canine friends. How do we get on to that? Uh, what was I saying? Hang on. Sorry, why am I rambling on about dogs? Oh yes, it was just to say that I'm up in London at the moment and surprisingly I've just had a message from a family member who I, I never thought had much time for the royal family and she's asked me to lay some flowers at Buckingham Palace with a note on them on behalf of the family. So I thought actually I wasn't planning on doing that but I think actually what a nice idea. So um, I'm going to want, after I've recorded this, I'm going to wander down to Buckingham Palace. I think they're directing people to put the flowers in Green Park now. And I think, you know, leaving flowers for things should also come with a charity donation. So I'm going to donate a little bit of money to Zane, my favourite uh, humanitarian aid relief charity, and take some flowers with a little note on it saying from, from the Scotties and our friends and family. And um, that certainly includes... Uh, the podcast listeners here and the SCVR readers on Stockopedia, as I consider you all friends. So on for those of you who want it, consider uh, that I've laid some flowers in memory of the Queen, um, uh, which I'll do this afternoon. OK, and also this week, many thanks to Roland, who's an absolute trooper as well. I mean, he just... He, he he covers for holidays and Roland's an absolute machine. I think he's just he literally totally focused, 
bang, 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 one company after another, great analysis. I think he's much more focused than me. I tend to get pulled from pillar to post by all the distractions going on while the market's open. So uh, Roland's been a tremendous support this week, Roland. Um, thank you very much indeed, and some terrific uh, output from Roland. Okay, looking at Monday, we'll do the usual, go run through the companies we've looked at this week first, then some more macro market commentary near the end. So Monday, I looked at Belvoir, BLV. This is a um, franchise business mainly, um, estate agency and lettings. Most of the revenue is recurring revenue, either franchise fees or lettings income, which is, we've shown throughout the pandemic just how dependable that revenue is. It's one of our favourite value GARP, which is growth at reasonable price. One of our favourite value GARP shares in the SCVRs. We really, really like Belvoir. Uh, as always, these are never recommendations, they're just opinions, so you need to do your own uh, research. Now, interim results from Bel Belvoir were nothing particularly remarkable, in line with expectations, reiterated full-year guidance. I just think on, on pretty much all the boxes it ticks for me, it's a modest PE of about 11, uh, and you know those um, those earnings are dependable, reliable. They're not particularly cyclical. It's mostly recurring revenues, as I say. Uh, management always really impress on the webinars they do. Um, you get a nice dividend yield there as well. The long-term growth track record is proven very adept at making good bolt-on acquisitions as well. Therefore, I, I think you could argue that in a in a more bullish market, Belvoir should deserve a higher P than 10 or 11. I think you could probably push the boundaries up to about 13 or 14. So there's a 20 or 30% re-rating on the sh available on the shares at the current price, I think. The only slight drawback is that it's there's no asset backing there. The trouble is when a company is making repeat acquisitions, the balance sheet tends to fill up at the top with intangibles. Um, and uh, but Belvoir's managed to do all these acquisitions without issuing a huge amount of new shares and without running up a lot of debt. But there isn't actually any any particular net asset value backing. But I don't think you need it if you've got reliable recurring revenues and profits. So a thumbs up for, from me for Belvoir. Now I looked at Aston Martin Lagonda AML on Monday as well. It's done a deeply discounted rights issue at £1.3. Now, bear in mind that was a discount of about 80% to the prevailing share price before the rights issue. doesn't really matter, though, that it's at a deep discount because with a rights issue, preemption rights are um, completely intact. I think so, so everybody gets their entitlement to the rights, which you could, you, there's a short window when those rights actually become tradable in the market for people who don't want to do them. I think rights issues are a much, much better structure than placings. Placings are quick, but um, disastrous if they're done at a deep discount and you're not included in the in the placing, which of course private investors are not normally able to participate in placings. Sometimes they do a sort of an open offer, which is very often just a fig leaf because it's such a small amount. Um, I wish we could re restructure the rules so that rights issues could be done. Uh, with, with less paperwork. There shouldn't be a need to publish a, a whole prospectus with a rights issue. It's ridiculous. It's what makes rights issues slow and expensive. The fees for the Aston Martin Lagonda um, deal, this rights issue, for example, were £25 million. Well, surely they can come up with a better structure whereby I think, you know, if there's one area they're going, they need to reform post-Brexit, I think this is surely making fundraisings quick, simple and cheap 
on the London stock market would give us a big advantage internationally, I think. And I think rather than, you know, playing around with daft ideas about cryptocurrencies, I think the Treasury and Rishi Sunak were really um, went completely uh, down the wrong angle there. What they should be doing is simplifying, reforming and uh, making everything slicker for the existing uh, stock market, in my view. Now, Roland looked at Surface Transforms, SCE. I think this is quite an interesting company. Very, very difficult to value, though, um, because it seems to be it's for these ceramic brake discs, which apparently it has some key competitive advantage, but I just don't know how to value it. It's all guesswork, isn't it? And it's really dependent on, you know, they keep announcing all these big contract wins, but very often when you're ramping up production of anything from essentially nothing to multi-million pounds a year, in my experience, there are very often teething problems along the way. So I think Service Transforms does look very interesting. I don't know how, how to value it, though, so I'm not going to get involved in that. Roland also looked at a recent IPO called Ashted Technology. There were results from Journeo. We didn't cover that one because it's only 10 million market cap and we were already overwhelmed with other news. Um, but I think some of the reader comments seem to think that looked quite interesting. And then there was also Carclo, C-A-R, which announced a refinancing. I have got that on, on my backlog list of things to look at. So hopefully I can do some catching up this weekend and hit the ground running on Monday's report. That's the plan. OK, on Tuesday then, I'm sorry to say this, but we were totally overwhelmed with um, an absolute deluge of announcements. So what Roland and I decided to do was to leave the in line with expectations, updates and results and just focus on stuff where we either saw good, the best value or where they've over or underperformed. So I looked at Virtue Motors, VTU. I hold this share personally. I think it's very, very good value. Um, I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy. Sorry, um, the um, update was in line. Oh, breakfast's arrived. Hang on. Right, yeah, Virtue Motors on Tuesday. This, again, I hold this personally. This is one of my favourite shares. Very, very good value. Uh, it put out an in-line update, um, for, but, but also indicated that, due for a, a variety of reasons, they saw uh, the second half slowing. Um, but that's already baked into the forecast. Now, the, the unique thing with Virtue Motors is you've got, a, I estimate, around 70 pence per share of tangible asset backing, net tangible asset backing. So it's really, really unusual to see a share trading below tangible net asset value, particularly when it's a successful, profitable business like this. I think the share price is around 46p. It's just too cheap. I think for people who are prepared to be patient, there's good upside on that one. And obviously we know the, the, the market for cars is, is likely to slow. Um, it's all baked into the price. You know, last year was a one-off exceptional year. And that's why forecasts are, are for a roughly halving of, of earnings per share. So um, <clears throat> there is a question mark over energy costs, though. We still need to hear the detail of the 40 billion pound government support package for uh, for business. Uh, now, secondly, another share, another highlight of the week um, was PCIP, PCI PAL, the ticker is PCIP. Now, um, interim results, I thought they were very positive. The revenue growth is, is over 60%, which is all organic. It's exceptionally strongly growing uh, niche software company, uh, growing internationally. 
Um, the main negative on PCIP is this patent infringement claim that's been lodged against them, which is set to, which costs 0.8 million in costs this year, and there's going to be another 2.9 million of costs over the next two years. I think that could potentially make the cash position a little bit tight. I had a, a half-hour chat with management, actually, that the PR set up um, for me, and I'm grateful for that. I had a good... Um, what I tend to do is do the research before speaking to companies, so I just asked them to do Q&A, which um, <clears throat> they did. I think both the CEO and the CFO seem pretty grounded people at PCI Pal. Uh, the patent case is taking up quite a lot of their time, but they, they say they've got a good team of people in middle management who are, who are perfectly happy just getting on and running the business. Um, it's bearing down on break-even. It's been one of these companies that's uh, where costs have been running ahead of of gross profits in the past and some people did question whether would they would get to break even but I think they're within sight of it now in the current year. The other interesting thing is because they bill the customers 12, mo 12 months up front every new sales contract signed increases deferred income and I, 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 I quizzed the CFO quite hard on, on whether they really had enough cash to get to break even, and he 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 sounded pretty convinced that they that they do have, and I was getting straight direct answers to my questions, so I think PCIP is really uh, potentially very good value if they can keep that growth going. In terms of the patent case, management sound confident they'll win, or that it might reach some sort of compromise, but the timings for that are pretty extended. It's another two years before the case is even heard in in America. So that's likely to remain a fly in the ointment. But equally, they could put out an announcement at any point saying they've agreed, the, the other side have agreed to withdraw or whatever. Um, management are pretty convinced it's going their way. So uh, I think the market cap, I think in a bull market, the market cap of PCIP would be a lot higher. That's all I can say. So I think there's good potential upside there. I might go back into that one at some point. I don't currently hold, but I know the company fairly well. I have held in the past. Um, Roland looked at Alumask, ALU, which uh, is a building supplies company. Um, these are all quite cheap at the moment. I know I mentioned Eurocell last week, E-C-E-L. I think there's a webinar recording that I need to look at on Eurocell. I think Eurocell's really, really good, very cheap. I don't hold either Alumask or Eurocell. But um, they're obviously cheap for a reason, because they're cyclical and the market thinks that there's going to be a recession. Uh, if we manage to get through the current problems without a, uh, a prolonged or deep recession, then at some point these things are probably going to be attractive buys. Uh, now, Roland also looked at Inland Homes. I mean, I-N-L. I mean, what an absolute load of dross this business is. I remember meeting the... Um, a lot of us went to an AGM years ago because we weren't happy with the director's remuneration uh, arrangements. And um, the guy running it, I mean, I just think he, he behaved like a petulant child at that AGM. People couldn't believe it. Um, <clears throat> and how is it that a house builder has not managed to generate any shareholder returns over the last 10 or 15 years or whatever it is during a housing boom? I mean, it just shows you how completely incompetent the people running this business uh, actually are, I think. Anyway, the latest update looks pretty dire. I wouldn't touch that one with a barge pole. Um, Roland also looked at L-U-C-E. I don't know how to pronounce it. I always call it Luseco, but I don't know if it's Lusco. But anyway, um, 
We've been following that one all the way down. It dropped, in some ways it's similar to Volex, VLX, which I do hold. Um, Luceco um, was tainted a bit by it uh, posting brilliant earnings during the pandemic, but it later transpired that that was due to customers, at least in part, due to customers stocking up and are now unwinding those inventories of the customers, um, which did made me, make me worry that maybe management didn't know the business as well as they should do. But anyway, I think it might have reached a turning point now. Um, the latest update was uh, a bit better than we expected. So, uh, Lou Secco, I'll have a look at it myself a bit later, but I think it's it's going on the watch list as maybe it's reached a turning point. I don't know. Headlam, H-E-A-D, I, I, is one of my favourite sh uh, shares. Um, I haven't actually written anything about it yet on the small cap reports on Stockopedia, but um, I did listen to the webinar that PI World put out. It's quite handy because they do them as either a video or a podcast. So when I'm out and about in London or whatever, I'm I'm listening um to the to the to the to the audio cast version and it was very interesting again i think management at headlam are very grounded uh, sensible people um they did mention though that the increased gross margin was temporary i don't know i i didn't know i, didn't, I couldn't cut they didn't really give a reason as to why they were using the word temporary maybe it was that they were raising prices against inventories that had been bought at lower prices i don't know of course inventories are always on the balance sheet at cost but there's um if you've then raised your selling prices then obviously you're making a higher margin on the stuff that you've already got in stock so that could be part of it they also raised a question mark over the utilities costs and it was very good that actually in the q a they quantified that saying headlam saying that they spend about a million a year on utilities and that uh, that could go up three to five fold. So possible headwind there, but we'll have to wait and see what the government measures say, which could mitigate that. Other companies we didn't uh, cover, and there were absolutely loads of them on Tuesday. I'm sorry about that. Windstay uh, put out a, stands out as significantly ahead. So I'll, um, I'm just writing down on my list here, Carclo. Wednesday things I need to circle back to and then we had inline results from nearly everyone else STV uh, which does have a big pension problem remember NCC was all preliminary results also in line Lord put out interim results that I want to come back to Acrol I think they said they were marginally ahead but interim results but I don't I don't think that company's of any interest at all that's the toilet paper thing Reynolds I'll add that to the list that's a show I do like but don't currently hold I need to uh, have a look at their trading update uh, then we had Midwich, which was in line. Michelmersh Bricks were in line with interims. Brickability, trading update in line. IQE, interim results in line. Pebble Group, interim results at least in line, they're saying. Uh, Quixent, interim results in line. Wandisco, interim results in line. What's These are all the things we didn't cover, I'm afraid. What's quite striking there is that when you've got such a, an apparently tough macro picture... How come the vast majority of companies are, are reporting in line with expectations results? Uh, maybe things are not as bad as we feared. Okay, Wednesday, another really interesting day. Uh, now, um, the, firstly, the stuff we didn't get around to looking at. We have an inline update with interims from MNC Saatchi, an inline update AGM from Solid State. 
uh, interim results and inline outlook for Equals Group, which is quite an interesting company, and a little Tiddler M. Winkworth estate agency interim results. So that's the stuff we didn't cover, so sorry about that. Um, now, I focused on the energy, the government energy measures, which were announced, I think, on Wednesday. Uh, very, very interesting. I'll come on to that in the macro section, actually. Now, right right now, I think you're getting some very, very interesting buying opportunities. And this is where private investors who are on the ball can really make some decent money, you know. And what I'm talking about is buying on the opening bell or even in the opening auction if you've got a proper broker. Um <clears throat> Because where you get what I've what I've noticed this week and last week, where you get surprisingly good trading updates from companies where the shares are really heavily oversold, they can put in a really big bounce. Or, uh, you know, you're looking at we're looking at some things that are producing twenty, even thirty percent daily uplifts at the moment when good news comes out where people were expecting bad news. So I think if you're on the ball doing your research between seven and eight AM and you're prepared to buy on the opening bell. Uh, you can obviously put in a limit price if you don't want to um, have open-ended price exposure. Then that's, I think, the big opportunity right now. Uh, maybe one for traders to just nip in, hold them for a few days and then sell, whatever. whatever. You know, we don't try and impose any particular type of uh, investment strategy on the listeners or the readers. You know, do whatever works for you. And if you're a trader and you make money, great. Keep doing more of whatever works, as my mentor always used to say to me. Um, so, and, and the interesting first, well, there were two actually on Wednesday, um, Avon, Avon Protection, it used to be Avon Rubber, that uh, shot up by about a third on the day, and Roland covered that one. Um, now, the one I covered that I really tried to get my article up by 8am on this, because I could see that it was obviously going to go up considerably, was Holford's HFD. I think I got my piece up at about two minutes past eight, so, but uh, still in time for people to buy and to have a, a nice profit by the end of the day. Now, Halford's update, I thought, was really very good. You you know, my assumption and the market's assumption, I think, was that, uh, oh, oh, it's a retailer, therefore it'll be really struggling, blah, blah, blah. But actually, Halford in its trading update made up uh, for the first 20 weeks of the year, made the very good point that a lot of its, I think, 70% of its business is needs-based. So it's something's gone wrong, wrong with the car, so I need to go to Halford's and buy this, that or the other or the car needs a service. And I think 40% of its business now is service related. So it's been quietly buying up all these um, auto centers, you know, MOT type servicing businesses and the tire fitting business. And that's now becoming a pretty significant part of the business. And then obviously they don't really need a huge amount of money spending on them. You just put up a big orange Holford sign and people recognize the brand and are more likely to go there than they were to an independent. So there's a very clear and simple logic, I think, to the acquisitions that are being made and it makes it less dependent on the, on the superstores. Um, Surprisingly resilient was my comment on Halford's trading update. Uh, full year guidance is reiterated, but the share price has absolutely collapsed, which um, I, 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 I said first thing on, on Wednesday in the small cap value reports. This looks a potential buying opportunity to me. And uh, I think it's plateaued now or even slipped back slightly. But um, I certainly wouldn't... Um, I wouldn't try and stop anyone if you said you thought that was an interesting one to buy. The balance sheet, I did check back and it's got net tangible asset value of about 110 million. 
which looks fine. The balance sheet's okay. Quite a sizable business. I think the worries with it were that um, there's been this boom, pan pandemic-based boom in cycling and so on. But maybe that's been offset by people using their cars less and servicing their cars less. So it seemed to her, it seems to be riding that uh, that rave wave quite well. The other thing, a more general point, is that supply chains are definitely easing now, and the cost of container shipment from the Far East to America and Europe is really is really plummeting now as the. Uh, the, the, the stop building that happened um, and became self-reinforcing because of supply chain problems now appears to be unwinding and you've got less demand from consumers, lower volumes. Remember, you know, even if even if, if revenue remains flat, but they put their prices up by 10 percent, then that means that these are just made up numbers to demonstrate the point. That means that volumes are actually down 10 percent, roughly, um, which means that um, other costs related to volumes would also be lower. Quite an interesting point, I think. Um, okay, that was Halfords. What was next? Um, oh, I did report on Headlam. Sorry, I did it a day late. So that came, that report came up on um, Wednesday. And uh, again, I think there's very good upside on Headlam. I think long term, if you look through the current economic problems, there could be 100% upside on Headlam, I think. It's just one to just... I think to just tuck away and forget about. Plus, you'll get about a six, I think it's six or seven percent dividend yield, which looks sustainable as well. So, I really like Headlam as just a boring, um, nice value share. Roland looked at James Fisher. He also, also looked at Somero Enterprises, the laser guided concrete screening outfit based in America. Uh, lots of readers hold that. It, uh, it, it always looks cheap, doesn't it? Um, I think that's another one where it looks like there were some good reader comments on this, actually, drilling into the numbers in a bit more detail, saying that it looks like volumes are actually down, but they're offsetting that with price rises, which is, is pretty good. Moving on to Thursday. Now, this was the, sorry, I got this wrong. This was the day when uh, <clears throat> Liz Truss announced the energy measures in the House of Commons. Now, I did my rapid note-taking note during the speech and published my notes shortly afterwards in the Small Cap Valley Report, which is not exactly verbatim, but it's pretty close to that, just, um, just listing in bullet point format the main points made. Now, I think these energy measures are absolutely key, um, hugely more expensive and bolder than I dared to even hope, but I think it's absolutely the right strategy, and you worry about how you fund it later once the crisis has passed. And I think the point with this thing is, I know people are, uh, you know, who look at economics in a conventional way are saying, oh, it's not affordable and all this sort of thing. It means higher borrowing and blah blah blah. Yes, I take your point, but the but the thing is that when there's a crisis, when markets have become dysfunctional, you need the government to step in. And it's obvious that from, from Liz Truss's speech that they're paying just as much, if not more, attention to the actual supply side of things. So it's, this is not just a sticking plaster. This is temporary relief. Uh, it's, well, two years, uh, a proper hard cap on household bills at an average of £2,500, less the £400 we've already, that's already in the pipeline, so it's actually 2100 plus additional and substantial measures for people on low incomes. So I don't see how anybody can quibble this, and you know, people saying this is not generous enough are, I think, living in a fantasy world, because actually, under the old Ofgem price cap system, um, the average bill was set to rise to between five and six thousand pounds per household by early 2023. So, at a stroke, what this measure has done 
is it's basically given households on average three to four thousand pound more disposable income next year than they were expecting. Well, that's a huge increase. And I suspect you might start as that the, the, this begins to filter through to people's consciousness. I think you might see a surprising uplift in consumer confidence from what are currently at record lows. And when you've got full employment and you now know that the energy issue has been capped uh, at around the current level, then I think, or, slow, or a bit above, I think the, the increase in October is going to be the last, isn't it? I think, I think that's right. I, I don't know. I can't remember exactly. All the notes are in Thursday's report. I think this is game-changing, and I think this might well um, put a flaw under the really bombed-out small caps where people were panicking and fearing that we were heading for economic Armageddon. It's quite clear that now we're not heading for economic Armageddon. Probably a, 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 a mild recession, I would say, looks likely. But, um, you know, we're lucky in Britain in that we've got full employment, and generally if people are not fearful for their jobs, they tend to continue spending. In, from what I've observed throughout my life. Um, um, so that's actually, I think, uh, I think I see this as possibly one of those turning points, like, for example, when the vaccines were announced and you then saw a year long, very strong bull market uh, in, in uh, equities, particularly in small caps. So, you know, if we're looking for any particular trigger event to turn sentiment on small cap shares, I think we've just had it. So even though I remain fairly cautious about the economic outlook. I think we've avoided disaster. And, um, you know, there are a lot of things now where I think you can see obvious uh, 100 to 200% upside if you're prepared to be patient on good companies. Uh, and once we get through this, uh, this soft patch, I think we're back into a bull market. And bull markets tend to start ahead of the fundamentals turning. So I think we're at or near that point where we maybe see the bear uh, retreat back into his cave, but we'll see, won't we? Oh, I should say as well, on Thursday, I started to look at restaurant group RTN, um, but got a bit bogged down in it, and it talked a lot about hedging of energy prices and I think uh, utility, um, other other costs and so on. But it, the bottom line was, in adjusted profit terms, I think it only made about 10 million. So, um, and I'm not keen on the balance sheet with restaurant groups, so... I didn't see anything in there that particularly inspired me. Friday, I should say, I was completely uh, uh, knocked sideways by the news of the Queen's death and um, my productivity hit a new low for the week on Friday, so sorry about that. Um, there were some interesting companies reporting. ASOS I, I looked at briefly, but to me it seemed quite a muddled update. Um, I think it could have been much more clearly explained, but the... But the uh, the, the upshot seems to be that it's trading at the bottom end of expectations, barely profitable. <clears throat> ASOS have never actually generated any meaningful cash flow. Uh, so, um, but it is it is a very high turnover business. The trouble is a lot of the revenues, um, it's, it's buying, it's clearing stock on behalf of brands, which means it's not getting the full retail gross margin because it's having to give some of the margin to the, to the brand owner. So, um, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure about ASOS, but I mean it's it's right back now in um, small cap territory. Remember, this used to be valued, I think, at the peak at sort of five billion or something. And certainly, what the market's saying now is that basically ASOS shares seems to seem to have been overvalued for about fifteen years or something like that. 
Um, the market is so down on e-commerce companies at the moment, isn't it? There've got to be some bargains in there um, at current levels, because I think there's still structural underlying growth with e-commerce. It's just that that was obscured by the boom and bust of the of the pandemic. So I remain confident. Well, not confident. I would say I'd remain optimistic that I think e-commerce businesses selectively the best ones could have very strong rebounds from here but um, there's no sign of that happening yet is there and here we are in September and this was one of my themes for the year which um, certainly so far hasn't worked that's for sure Boohoo's on share price is still under a lot of pressure um, I haven't had a trading update from them for a while uh, and there are loads of other e-commerce businesses that are absolutely on the floor. Again, I must have a look at all of them and see which ones I think are, are the most interesting. Um, now, Friday also, we got an update from XP Factory, XPF. Now, I do hold this one. I think it's a very, very interesting rollout, a rapid rollout of a bar and gaming concept so they it's not just a, it's a cocktail bar and street food type of thing fairly bog standard but then they've also got all these um competitive gaming things like old arcade games oversized sort of active games the one that i think looks fun is axe throwing um which i've mentioned loads of times before now the main news in the energy measures announced by the government was of course that it helps uh, there was particular help for um for the hospitality section uh, segment that was mentioned specifically by Liz Truss. So the initial business support measures are for six months. Uh, all they said it's going to be a, a, something akin to the household arrangement, so some sort of cap on their unit energy prices for business, which is great, uh, although it is only for six months, whereas the households is 12 months. I think that makes sense. It, it, that is a, a temporary sticking plaster, the, the six-month business thing, but with an indication that it'll it'll be continued beyond that for hospitality sector. So I think probably now is the time to be buying some of these bombed out hospitality sector shares. J.D. Weatherspoon um, particularly springs to mind because um, I, I did a site visit um, in uh, this week. I popped into the Angel opposite to Angel Islington tube station and I had a pint of, I asked the barmaid, I said, what's the cheapest lager you have? She said, Bud Light. So I said, oh, thank you. I'll have a pint of that. £2.29 for a pint of Bud Light. £2.29 in central London. I went down the road or across the road to another pub and it was £6.50 for a similar um, average strength basic lager. So you think to yourself, well, wh why aren't J.D. Weatherspoons rammed? Well, they are. The, the obvious thing is that um, the people you're rubbing shoulders with in there are um, perhaps the not salubrious types you know and you're really getting your beer dirt cheap um, which attracts uh, the, the lower echelon of society which may or may not bother you frankly I don't really care I'll just sit there and have a few pints and mind my own business but um, I you know I think but you do have to ask yourself if the four pound four pound fifty premium a pint to sit to have a slightly better caliber of customer around you is uh, value or not? I mean, I think I can't believe how cheap uh, Weatherspoons are, and I'm certainly going to go there um, much in preference to other pubs from now on. I think it just unfortunately at the Angel it doesn't have any outside space, which is a pity because I do I do prefer sitting outside. So I think you know it's very obvious for JD Weatherspoons they can crank up they can dial up their profits 
just by putting their prices up five or ten percent. So I think the the chance for a rebound in profitability at JD Weatherspoon is very strong and very obvious. They just need to put their prices up a bit, and they'll still be the by far the cheapest pub op operator. So I think that share is looking very interesting. Oh, um, another one I didn't get round to looking at on Friday was Gear for Music, but that seems to have gone down badly. That's back down now to only just over a pound um, a share, which is incredible to think it peaked at nearly £10 a share twice, what might have been £8 a share. But that one's been a very lucky share for me. I'm not currently holding, I don't think. I might have a little scrap of it in one of my accounts, I'm not sure, but it's not a meaningful size position if I do. Uh, I'm really just waiting for it to bottom out before I go back in. So I'll do some work this weekend on the Gear for Music update and I'll come back to you on that next week. Actually, in terms of the macro market stuff, I think I've already covered it really. So as I say, my opinion, and it's only an opinion, um, sometimes right, sometimes wrong, is that as things stand currently, I think we might have just had the tipping point, the turning point for a bit of confidence to come back into small caps. I'm not saying that I'm optimistic about the economy. I'm not. We know what all the headwinds are. But as Liz Truss said, these uh, energy support measures are going to lop off about 5, basis, uh, 500 basis points from the expected level of peak inflation, which is highly significant because by capping the energy costs now, uh, you've then got all the recipes coming through for inflation to probably not continue rising anymore anyway. I know there's there's big food price inflation in the pipeline. Talk to any farmer and they'll tell you that because they're just having to pay so much more for fertiliser and a lot of them are not, are not planting um, winter crops in, in polytunnels because the gas is too expensive. So yes to more continued food price inflation for sure. But you see a lot of other things are now um, the, the inflationary factors are beginning to ease, particularly the cost of for shipping uh, containers over from the Far East. If you think back to last autumn, supply chains were really messed up. So there were gaps on the shelves for some retailers um, and they were having to pay a fortune to get stock into the country. There were, there were holdups in all the ports in the Far East and in Europe. Uh, UK and America. Well, those factors are all easing now. So I think, you know, you've got you've got some factors pulling inflation higher, others actually starting to now pull it down once they annualise. And remember, inflation is just the annual change, isn't it? So once you hit the peak numbers, inflation can actually fall, even though prices are remaining high, as long as they're not increasing that much more. I think as well, consumers help pull down inflation by shopping around. You know, we're all doing it, even on people on reasonably good incomes and now expecting value for money. We're not just going to pay full price for things. I noticed TGI Fridays, who I monitored quite closely. I've only got a very small position in that now, if at all. Again, I can't remember exactly if I kept any or whether I just capitulated on that one. I'm so sorry. It's been a complete disaster. Um, I'm not convinced that they're trading very well. I mean, I got a new offer through from, from TGI's. Uh, which is Hostmore, the listed company, uh, offering um, a special deal Monday to Thursday at £10, for which you get a starter, um, uh, house fries, and I think it's unlimited refills of uh, fizzy drinks. Well, for £10, that's actually the first thing I've seen from them that actually is value for money. So I might go mystery shop them again, but um, they wouldn't be putting on that sort of offer if they were trading their socks off, were they? So... Um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm expecting another profit warning from Hostmore. Actually, I don't think it's delivered a profit warning yet. And they have hedged their um, their energy and a lot of their food price costs, um, as I say. But I think the key thing right now, it's got to be value for money. And I don't think TGI Fridays is value for money. So we'll see on that one. That's probably all I wanted to say, actually, for this week. So thanks for tuning in. And again, sorry it's been such a disrupted week. I'll get back on track for next week and try and crunch through some of these backlogs. Um, so my macro view, as I say, uh, uh, a bit nervous about the economy. I think we're, we're probably in or heading into a, a mild recession. But I think with the energy crisis comprehensively dealt with by the UK government and other governments, I think are probably likely to follow suit abroad. And isn't it good that we can just act fast without having to agree anything with anyone? We can just, you know, I do think it's in times of crisis that having uh, control is really, really important. Um, the exchange rate is obviously something to watch. The dollar's been very strong. Uh, the euro is now at parity or slightly below against the dollar. The pound is very low, back down to 1985 levels, where I think it briefly touched, touched parity against the dollar. Um, so, But you can prove anything you want with exchange rates, just depending on what, what, what starting point you arbitrarily select on the graph. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> I tend to agree with Roland, who commented on, on Forex this week, by saying it swings and roundabouts. It's not my job to try and predict what, what exchange rates will do. Companies can hedge Forex in advance of their buying and selling contracts um, and then reset their pricing to deal with next year's forex hedging so these things can be managed and um, a lot of prices of commodities in uh, are priced in dollars but of course a lot of those commodities have now come down quite a lot from um, the peak oils dropped about i think from about 120 to about 80 dollars a barrel or something well that is a much much larger drop than the worsening impact of of the forex changes isn't it so uh I think it's like any situation, depending on what your preconception is, you can select some positives, or if you're more negative, you can select some negatives. It'll be fascinating to see how it all pans out. Nobody knows, so we always try and phrase things as might and could, or perhaps, and use that sort of language in the SCVRs. Um, it's my pet hate when uh, you hear commentators confidently saying, this will happen, this will happen, when they're just guessing. They have no idea. Um, and as the, that terrific book, Super Forecasters, said, the media commentators, all that's required is a confident air of certainty and um, a compelling story. And then people believe you. And they, they never go back and actually say, oh, well, hang on, a year ago you were saying the complete opposite. So you got it totally wrong, don't, didn't you? Nobody ever, nobody ever challenges uh, these talking heads on um, on the, on their track record, which is usually absolutely dire. And talking heads normally just extrapolate out whatever the current trend is and say we expect it to continue. It's very rare to see people who will actually say, oh, I think there's a turning point here because of X, Y, Z. And I think also when you do get it wrong, you should just say so. It's not, it's not the end of the world, is it? It's all guesswork for everybody. Um, all we can do is base our views on shares on... Um, what we think is the most likely future scenario and you have to have some sort of outlook on on the economy and markets generally otherwise how can you invest at all 
uh, unless you take a, the long-term view and just say everything will be fine in the long run because it always is, which is a perfectly, uh, I think, a perfectly sensible approach to take. All right, I'll leave it there. I'm just rambling now. So, um, and as I say, consider it done that I've laid some flowers on behalf of uh, myself, my family, and all my friends, and all my uh, shares friends. I'll I'll put a little note on it, including uh, podcast listeners and small cap value report readers. Um, on my bunch of flowers as, as, a, as a small thank you for an incredible woman who I think devoted her whole life to us and did absolutely brilliantly. So um, a very positive note there, I think. Uh, and thank you. Thank you for everything you did, Your Majesty. All right. And for the people who are not royalists, that's absolutely fine. You know, you can take it or leave it. So, um, all right, I'll leave it there. Let's hope uh, we have a little bit of a calmer week next week with any luck. Bye for now.